Hey guys, Andrew here, and welcome to the Ecommerce Fuel Podcast, the show dedicated to helping seven-figure plus store owners build incredible businesses and amazing lives. Today on the show, we've got Casey Cutsell, who is a private community member, been in the e-commerce game since he was 16, he's been doing this a long time, and brought to market something called Skedge on Skedge.com is the website. It's a really cool, innovative wiper blade. And you could think, well, wiper blades, really how sexy are those? Well, they're not super sexy until you spend a Saturday afternoon driving to Napa, standing in line for half an hour to get your blades, drop like 60 bucks on them, come back, spend another 45 minutes in your garage yelling at your car and secretly yourself because it's way harder than it needs to be put on. And that's your afternoon. And instead, what Casey has put together is a install once for the blade, and then you get these super easy to, to install and remove wiper inserts that just slide in and slide out, you know, just almost brainlessly, you could do it. So we're gonna talk about how he came up with the idea, how he, how he brought it to market, how he launched it on Kickstarter, he just launched this on Kickstarter, what he's learned from Kickstarter, you know, launching a campaign in 2020, and a bunch of different stuff. Again, he's been in the game for a while. So we, we cover a lot of ground, great guy. And I hope you enjoy the discussion. Quickly, before we jump in, though, I want to give a big shout out to Clavio, who makes the show possible. If you haven't heard of Clavio, you've probably been sleeping under a rock for the last five years. We're not listening to the podcast. And if so, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for listening. The best email marketing tool for e-commerce, hands down, right now. Uh, definitely the most popular in our private community. And it's just, its superpower is unbelievably segmented, targeted emails to your customers based on what they buy, what they don't buy, what they look at, what they don't look at. It's unreal. It syncs up with your shopping cart, Shopify, or whatever you're using. And you can create really powerful flows to drive more purchases from your customers because you're highly relevant. So if that sounds interesting and you want to make more money from email, check them out at clavio.com forward slash ECF to get started with a free trial. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com forward slash ECF. And secondly, the e-commerce field private community, which is shockingly hosted by us. If you are listening to this because you cannot get enough of hearing about what other store owners are doing and strategies and, and the business world, and nobody in your life understands what it's like to sell trailer hitches for high-end industrial mining equipment online, you need to join our forum because you will find a group of people that get you like no one else does. Over a thousand vetted seven-figure store owners in this community, thousands of monthly discussions and, and, and comments, We've got a huge review directory. It's just, it's a cool place. And I guarantee you, you will get a ton of value uh, if you're selling legitimately online. You can learn more about that at ecommercefuel.com. All right, let's go ahead and jump into my discussion with Casey. Casey, before we jump into your story and the Kickstarter and all the stuff that, yeah, it's, it's kind of been exciting in your world in the last couple of years, I got to lead off by, by just saying thank you. You've been a phenomenal part of our, our community of the private forums as a community guide, just like welcoming a lot of our new members, being an amazing contributor. You were our member of the year, I think a couple of years ago when you joined. And so you've been phenomenal. I really appreciate it. And yeah, I just want to say thank you. So thanks for, thanks for making the the community significantly richer since joining. It's been awesome having you. Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to do so. I've certainly benefited a whole lot from being a part of the community and feel really indebted to a lot that's happened over the last couple of years that I think can be linked to being a member of, of ECF. And yeah, so definitely want to give back as much as possible. 
And you started, so in e-commerce world, you started when you were 16. Am I thinking about that right? Like, because you, you've never, e-commerce has pretty much been your entire working career because you're, you know, late 20s, early, like early 30s now. Am I, am I remembering that right? Yeah, that's correct. I really started in probably eighth, eighth or ninth grade as uh, kind of a summer hobby. Uh, so back in the early 2000s, eBay was the up and coming thing. I had a big interest in uh, buying and selling online, playing video games, just the typical teenage thing that was going on then. So my parents had have a wholesale auto parts business. And so, yeah, I kind of just put two and two together, what was available to me, what my interest was and had, you know, really successful couple of early summers. And I think the last one I made like $10,000 as a teenager in the summer. And at that, you know, that's just crazy money back then. And, you know, I just was like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to be the future and I'm going to stick with it. So there was a, a little bit of time where I was transitioning from that being a full-time job. Uh, it was somewhat seasonal. So I worked with my parents in their business, I think it was less than a year. And then once I felt like the income was was there, I you know fully transitioned and yeah, didn't didn't look back. So what does a 16-year-old kid do with $10,000 in his bank account? Uh, I imagine there's, you know, that could go a lot of different ways. I, I wasted all of it. And <laughs> in, in fact, I, I wasted even more than, than what I had. So did not have business since. And back then, credit, you know, I really got in trouble with credit cards. Uh, I think I had on my American Express card back then as a teenager, like $18,000 credit limit. Something, something ridiculous. Yeah, I, I definitely got into trouble and, and wasted all my my money on cars and you know just yeah fool, foolishness. But yeah, quickly learned from that mistake and and got past it. <laughs> Man, well, what was it? That's interesting. Like, what was it that kind of caused you to? Where was the the moment where you you turned things around or changed things or, or realized it was kind of craziness or just unsustainable? Did you have a kind of a, a a moment that where you were able to to kind of change your outlook on how credit and finance work like where where did that happen along your journey yeah so th- because the the way it started it was you know somewhat of a seasonal business it didn't take you know very many i, I would say really just the first year going through the cycle of transitioning from working with my parents and their business to this full time and going through a whole year of what just my business was going to do for me. I showed me that the off season that I needed to kind of run things differently. I, I couldn't just spend and invest all during during the summer. I needed to, you know, have a nest egg and for the off season. So it was really trial by fire. That's that's really all of my experience uh, growing up was, you know, trying one thing, seeing what worked, trying not to repeat mistakes. Just a just a whole lot of that. Yeah, I'd love to hear. People hear a lot about Amazon. That they, they, I think most people are pretty familiar with that, and you know the pros and cons here. And you know, uh, end of twenty twenty, what? But 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 Walmart and and eBay. I'd love to hear your your take on those. You know, right now because I think a lot of people think eBay and they think you know that's kind of that ship has sailed. That's something from like the early days of e commerce. And sure, you can maybe sell a couple things there, but can you meaningfully get any traction? And on the Walmart side, 
my experience is is skewed based on kind of the, the experience our, our forum members have shared in terms of just seems like not people have got a lot of people have not gotten a whole lot of traction there for that effort. But I'd love to hear your take because this is obviously a huge channel for you. What what's the what's the state of e, you know eBay and uh, maybe we can start with eBay. What's the state of eBay in 2020 here? Is it still a meaningful channel? Can you still make like meaningful money on that? And and if so, like what who, how what are, what are the things you do need to do or be to make it work well? Yeah, eBay, really all the channels are are viable, but purely from a market share standpoint, none of them are going to hold a candle to to Amazon. They they just dominate. View them as a separate channel, don't just lump them all together. Analyze the channel based on what your business is and how it fits in. I think it's still a, a good viable option for used items, collectibles, but yeah, they have definitely been a disappointment to to me over the years and, and not not capturing more of that new product, new brands type type market. I jokingly called them flea bay because they're, they're, it's, it's kind of like a, a flea market. Like you know, plenty plenty of people do that, but you don't go to you know a flea market for for new product. It's, it's just not what it is. So uh, that's kind of my take on on eBay. Uh, I don't think they're in a position to to really turn things around and and chase after Amazon or or Walmart now. eBay does have, you know, good international. I think they're they're pretty well set up for that. So if your product is set up for easy shipping internationally and and you know can that can be done affordably then and has a very broad appeal, then that's a good thing. Again, automotive parts is not one of those good international categories because vehicles vary so much from one one country to the next, where it's manufactured, what parts are used, it's pretty difficult category to sell in. And have you seen on the Walmart side, have you seen, so eBay sounds like what I was kind of thinking might come out of this is, no, Andrew, eBay is just, just a, it's a sleeper. If you do it right, it can be a huge revenue driver. It sounds like that's not what I'm hearing from you. But on the Walmart side, is that, have you been able to crack that nut better than other people? I mean, I was reading a funny article the other day talking about the death of Amazon, probably the, you know, 10th one that's been published this this week and talking about how you know companies like walmart are coming up and as a major competitor and it's eh, maybe maybe not but it seems like it's been a hard hard nut to cry for people have you had more luck in that do you feel like there's more opportunity than meets the eye on walmart so we have only in the last three to six months really started to push into walmart for those reasons that you know everybody else that was doing it already was saying and eh, it's it's okay but it's you know, not worth a whole lot of time. So we definitely delayed it. And, you know, with the way e-commerce is going now, we kind of feel like it's, you know, a good time to to jump in, that it's it, there is no looking back with e- e-commerce. Walmart's continuing to make, you know, very large strides in into their their offering. You know, they're they're trying to do some different things from from Amazon uh, where they can, you know, they're their big advantage is their retail footprint and deliverability. So it's hard to say what what they're going to do in the future that's going to be a big standout from Amazon. I don't think they're doing enough unique right now that's going to set them apart. I think they're chasing Amazon instead of trying to lead in a in a new direction. But I would say it's been worth expanding into the channel. There's still a lot to learn and they're trying to find their way and I think they're doing a pretty good job. Could be better. There's always something to complain about. I think it's it's pretty good. 
any any tips for people getting onto Walmart? Uh, just you know, real quick, one or two you know rapid fire tips in terms of settings to get right, tips for for selling on the platform, stuff that you had to learn the hard way that maybe people could learn from if they're thinking about testing out the platform. Yeah, we're we're still learning. There's still a lot going on. I, I would say, if at all possible, try to partner with a listing listing management software company that that's well integrated. When we first got onto the channel, we had a lot of issues getting products listing listed with spreadsheets and things like that. And the Walmart support team was just not not good. <laughs> uh, even, even, even they were like, yeah, we, we, we don't have answers for, for some of this stuff. So, so I think partnering with a good SaaS company that, that maybe has some internal help inside of Walmart, maybe prioritize you a little more, get things fixed. That's something we have done since then. And, and, uh, it, it has certainly helped. That, that would kind of be my one big thing. Otherwise it's, you know, don't give up, just keep your head down and push forward. Let's talk to switch gears and talk a little bit about Sketch and Sketch. Am I saying that right? Yes, Sketch. <laughs> okay, Sketch. I just want to make sure. So Sketch is the the Kickstarter that you just launched recently, the product that you just launched recently for wiper blades. And, and I loved when you saw it because, yeah, I feel like an idiot every time I have to replace my wiper blades and get them and, and figure out the hooks. And, and it just, yeah, it's not does not give me confidence in my abilities trying to <laughs> replace my wiper blades. And yours, you have one blade that you, you set up, and then once once it's on your vehicle, instead of replacing the whole blade, you just have an insert that slides in into the wiper, making it a ton easier. I'll link up to the Kickstarter. You can um, you can check it out on Sketch. That's S-C-O-N-S-C-H-E-D-G-E.com for the website, and that'll take you over to the Kickstarter. So how did you, where was the genesis for this idea? Because it's a super cool idea. I haven't seen it before. Maybe it's out there. But how did you come up for the idea? Was it something that, yeah, talk about that. Was it something you just thought, hey, this is a, I can't believe this is as painful. And so you went searching for a solution or did you just kind of see it in the market and thought, huh, this is a good idea. Let's partner with these guys and bring this to market. Yeah, so I would say this idea has been about five or six years in the making. And what got me started thinking about this was inspiration from seeing the success of Dollar Shave Club. So, you know, I was blown away by, you know, some of the numbers they were releasing and, you know, what they sold some of their company for. And I was like, man, that's a subscription business and, you know, scale up uh, in a vertically with just a couple products. Like that's, that's gotta be the, the thing to do. So I looked at our you know, current products and thought, what could, what could we do that's a subscription or, you know, something that we could scale up that there's, there's an issue with and, and wiper blades, you know, came, came to mind first, you know, primarily because of how people traditionally treat that, that part now, like it's replaced when you, when it gets bad enough, it's not a preventative maintenance, uh, like we do with our oil changes, you know, we're, we're very well educated and taught change your oil or you're going to have a failed motor in, in just a matter of time. So, and it's very expensive. So good reason to remember that that's not really the case with, with wipers, even though we feel like it's just as important, you know, it protects your, your vision, your ability to see, which is the only human sense that's required to get a driver's license. You have to be able to, to see, you know, my first thought was, let's just put wiper blades on a subscription and, you know, people can go and, and, you know, sign up for a, every year or something like that. And we'll, we'll just do that. 
and that that probably would have been okay. Uh, that's kind of the path that we started out on, and then you know I just felt like, man, this is this is going to be really expensive. I, I think it's going to be hard for people to, you know, come come on board with this idea that you know I'm going to take something that was every few years thing and I'm going to make it you know a once a year. You know, some people do that, but. I really felt like it was going to be too expensive for for most people. Sometime around 15 years ago, the wiper blade manufacturers came out with some new designs, and they were way better. And so, when they released these, they you know made it so that you could just replace the whole frame, and it would be really simple. They they did simplify the process, but they did not make it refillable. And intentionally, they wanted people to replace the whole frame you know they would much rather you know sell a, a 15 or 20 dollar wiper blade retail as opposed to a two three dollar insert so so that's kind of what happened the new designs forced out the refill concept and and it kind of vanished over over the years i was like well let's let's take that that old concept pair it with these modern wiper designs put it in a subscription that uh, people could you know, afford to now replace it, you know, every year. In fact, you know, this, the savings is somewhere around 90%. If you take the most premium retail product and compare it to our best priced product, it is, you know, a $3 versus a $30 difference. So you can literally replace your wipers once a year for 10 years for the same price as what a retail product would be. So that's kind of how the, the whole idea got started. Yeah. And so kind of going off that a little bit in terms of the the $3 subscription service, how, I mean, you mentioned that that the wiper companies themselves, they kind of moved away from that because it was really hard to make money on that. And I was thinking about that looking at Kickstarter, just with such a low price point item, does that, how how do you get around that? Is it just, is it just volume? You just make it up on volume? Because it seems like it would be, it'd be really tough to, like you said, you know, it's better to sell uh, medicine than better to sell the cure versus the prevention because people are short-sighted. That's just kind of how we are. <laughs> and so you have that working. And then also on the, the the economic side, does that, thinking through that, how did you get over that? Because I'm sure you thought about that before you launched. How did you get past that kind of economic, those economic worries on, on it being such a low pr- price point item? Yeah, it's definitely a challenge and, and will be one that we have to monitor very closely. Uh, we'll have to be, play very close attention to you know, lifetime value of customers and and things like that. And, you know, just starting where, you know, we have no idea what, what that will be, but there's no doubt that my approach to this is that this is going to be a business that we try to you know, acquire as many customers as possible and, and do through scale and, and maybe someday sell, sell the company. So yeah, even if you have, you know, a hundred thousand customers on a, $3 product, you know, there's, there's not much money there. So we're going to introduce quite a few other products and, and potentially even some services. Uh, in addition to this, this is kind of our, I don't really want to use the term loss leader because it's, it's not a loss leader. It is still profitable, but it's definitely not one that, you know, is going to make the company a ton of money or be what we sell the whole company off of, uh, there, there's going to have to be more products. And, and so our whole approach is, you know, simplifying, uh, auto repair. So we're, we're going to do much more than just this one product. Yeah. yeah makes sense. And the product itself. So, so you, you partnered up with, 
you didn't design this from the ground up. You partnered up with someone who had an existing design. Is that correct? That is correct. You know, we've I've been selling in the automotive space, buying and selling for 17 years. So uh, we've we had good manufacturer relationships, and you know, even to this day, we buy and sell some of the the other brands at, at least until they they find out that <laughs> we're we're competing against them. That's been kind of how we've come into contact with different vendors, and yeah, we we just kind of had this idea that we pitched to different ones and you know some it didn't work out with that we tried over the years and then eventually we pitched it to the right one and they were like hey yeah we we actually our owner <laughs> they, they said our owner thinks everybody should be refilling wiper blades so he'll really like this idea and uh, in one of our meetings they they pulled out a prototype that they had kind of already ready to go and it it really matched up everything that we needed there was some small adjustments made but you know that that's that was pretty fortunate that's not most people's experience you're going to have to go out and find manufacturers you know do a lot of back and forth r&d and yeah i think i think we got lucky with that yeah very cool so Let's talk about the naming. This is something I think doesn't get talked about a whole lot. You know, your Sketch and OnSketch.com, how much of a challenge was was coming up for a name for this product? Because trying to find decent .coms these days that people can remember that don't, you know, that aren't a nightmare to try to spell. How challenging of a process was was that? Yeah, definitely, definitely wasn't easy. So kind of starting at the beginning, we we wanted to choose a name that was around the time aspect of of the product because that's really the issue that people didn't replace these ahead of time they waited till after they they were bad so initially our company was going to be wiper time and you know we went through the process of getting that domain and trademarking and this and that and over the years as things evolved and we saw hey we're we're kind of switching up our product. It's going to be a lower price point. We're going to have to do a lot more than just wiper blades. Let's not tie down our name to one specific product. The name actually got really terrible reviews. <laughs> people, people hated the name Sketch, and <laughs> and and I can understand why. It's you know very it's slang. It's it's difficult to spell. And, you know some people might connect it to it being slang for the word schedule. Some might not. I really debated about whether to go forward with it or not. And ba- basically, I couldn't find any other name that you know that really hit home on this time or scheduling type idea that that we wanted to do. So. So I decided to go ahead and and go forward with it despite everybody hating on it. So Kickstarter, let's talk about Kickstarter. You just launched, you know, this last last couple of weeks. Kickstarter is interesting, man. I, I gotta say, totally candidly, back in the day, I used to love Kickstarter. Uh, backed a lot of stuff. It seemed like it was a place with a lot of innovative products and and the stuff that was the best, kind of naturally, organically rose to the top. It seems like there's more. It's become more of a kind of a playbook channel for launching things and, and, and more of a pay to play, definitely a pay to play these days. What's, do you think that's accurate? Like, do you still feel, how much did you have to, how much do you feel like you got an organic bump from the fact that the product did well? How much did you come in planning to spend a lot of money to get it to the top of the listings? And what's, what's the experience been for you on, on Kickstarter as a launch platform? Yeah, so this is my first experience with Kickstarter. I've been doing research over, you know, some years about, how to approach it. And yeah, it's, it's been a learning experience. It's definitely more complicated 
than what I thought. It's definitely, it's not as easy. I know that kind of sounds like the same thing, but the platform itself is, is not as, as good. It's not as set up for e-commerce is what you would think. Even even during the checkout process, if you go to make a pledge on something, their their site says, this is not an e-commerce site. Like you might never get this this product. That's going to be great for conversion, right? I yeah, mean- <laughs> I, I, I definitely, it definitely bothered me when I, I saw that. But it's true. Like, and the, for legal reasons, they probably have to put it on there because there's a crazy number of Kickstarters that, you know, get funded and then, you know, turn into nothing. There's, I mean, there are some that are borderline fraud. I mean, I, I remember there was one that I, I backed that was a, a cool coffee press, uh, a French press that I thought was really uh, innovative and backed it and, and they kept just stringing you along. And at some point I got, I, I got an email from the founder saying like, hey, thank you. We know 18 months ago you gave us 70 bucks for this, this French press or whatever it was. And more or less, we just have spent all the money with nothing to show for it. And we can still give you the thing that rubbed me. Gonna kind of you're, sorry, you're going to be subject to a rant here, Casey. The thing that rubbed me was they were selling these products on their own .com. Like they were already selling the products, and they sent me an email saying, "Sorry, we mismanaged the money. We're already selling them on our own site. But if you want the one you backed, you got to cough up another forty dollars." And and just like uh, it was infuriating. And so I've been I've had a little bit of a, a damper on my enthusiasm for for Kickstarter since then. Yeah, and I think that's a lot of people, and rightfully so. Like, you know, I, I I would never, you know, say anything bad about somebody that that just did not want to do it because of the risk. E- even even people that we you know get comments from on our ads or emails, they're like, I just don't do Kickstarter. We're like, hey, no problem. Just stay on the email list. We're gonna have this in like four months after the Kickstarter. You can you can buy it from us then. And so that's been our our approach. We we haven't, you know, we, we try to let people know that this is not our, our first experience in product development or in running a business. Like we're, we're here for the long term, but yeah, it's, it's one of the issues of Kickstarter. And that being said, absolutely back to your, your Kickstarter. I wasn't trying to, to say people, they shouldn't, they shouldn't, but I think you just have to be a little more discriminating now who you back and, and for how, you know, how much to, cause I mean, that fund I was talking about, I mean, they raised probably you know, I think they raised close to a million dollars, right? And it's it's not like you have, there's not auditing firms overseeing this. And, and granted, you know, there's a good chance that they were just made bad decisions and it wasn't malicious, but it's crazy. There's a lot of money going through there and so you just got to be careful. But but for you, so so when you when you got it on, you, you launched it, did you do, did you hire one of those like funded today companies? Did you put a lot of, of paid advertising into promoting it early on, or did you primarily just depend on your existing list and, and kind of some industry connections? What, how much money did you have to spend to, to promote it? Cause I guess we should probably tell people you're, you know, looking at it right now, you are about, what about a, a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks into it, maybe shy of just a couple of weeks and you're right around a hundred thousand dollars in funding. So, so for context for people, so how much did you have to push to, to be able to get to that level? Right. So, we were going to approach this Kickstarter by ourselves originally, and then about a week and a half from the launch, I started getting getting some cold feet as we dove more into the Kickstarter platform and and got things set up. I, I started to be you know just get paranoid that there was some things we were missing or weren't doing right, and so I reached out to a agency, Woodshed Agency. They they do a lot of Kickstarters. Just wanted to have kind of like a intro call, 
hey, what what do you guys do that that we might not know? And after like a just a twenty minute conversation, I felt like I had three or four tangible things that we had completely overlooked, and and so I I in that conversation hired them on the spot and said we need some rush help to make sure we're doing everything like we need to 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 get this off the ground before actually the case starting there before you go on can you talk about when you what were some of those things on that 20 minute call that that what were like you know just a high level two or three things that what were the things that you did that made the difference the standout was tracking your marketing conversions that was kind of a big one because if you're you know we we were prepared to spend six figures in in marketing on this this campaign if it was going to work out uh, turns out it's you know paid marketing for our product on kickstarter is is not doing good enough for us to justify spending that much we're scaling it back but you know that was that was a big one and then just getting the messaging right on your your story uh, make sure that certain things are featured in the correct order because you have a kickstarter you have a single page basically view it as a single page website and you need to get everything in the right order to you know do the right things there was you know like i said there was a lot of things that just in that short call really made me feel like i had to pull the trigger on this partnership and so you know looking at that 100k raised over you know a couple of weeks you had mentioned that you know kind of before we started recording that 100k is a great kickstarter but you you mentioned that you also wasn't doing quite as well as, as you had expected what do you think why do you think that is yeah so definitely a lot of it has to do with the product like i mentioned earlier this product is currently treated as a you know buy it when you need it and and in fact pretty much all vehicle maintenance is that way Nobody, including myself, wants to spend money repairing their car. You only do it when it, when it needs to be done. So, you know, just that we, you know, are not selling to people at the right time because we don't have product in hand. So really the only ones that were willing to back us are those that, you know, like the concept. You know, we did some unique things offering a lifetime subscription to our, our inserts. So basically- yeah, when yeah. blown away by that. That's what I signed up for. And I thought, man, I feel like he's going to lose money on this. I feel bad. I probably shouldn't have signed up for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we will. I mean, that's very fair. Within a few years, those those customers will, you know, turn out to be losses for us. But, you know, in the early going, we we really need that that early support. And we had to have something that was was going to get people's attention. And, and honest, honestly, that's one of the things that the agency pointed out like I had already created a a lifetime subscription option and they were like that's kind of a big deal we feel like that that's going to be what captures people's attention and we need we need to you know make more of the campaign focused on on that cuz you're doing some tricky math here from a from an ad spend perspective you talk about investing six figures a very meaningful amount and you're making calculations like I'm selling a $3 product that you know, six dollars potentially that maybe gets replaced every you know three to six months if if, if you're lucky. And I'm trying to think what's what's my rough lifetime value going to be. You have no idea. You're also thinking about you know how much are we willing to lose on these you know you know just predatory backers like Andrew who are signing up for the lifetime service going to run us into the ground for the short term PR release, right? And, and how much do we want to spend on them? So man, it, it maybe it's just me, but I'm guessing you just had to make a lot of 
best case assumptions on how much do we want to spend, not just for you know uh, the lifetime value, but also for how much are we willing to invest in in what really is going to be a lot of a PR push to build a foundation for this going forward. And I think I mean is that kind of the calculus you had in your brain? Yeah. So for the Kickstarter, we we definitely planned on the Kickstarter as a whole not being a profitable venture. Like we did this for proof of concept, you know, checking a box on on the way to a much larger company. So we, we've definitely done that. You know, there's some other things that we've we've learned along the way and and had some assumptions on that have been confirmed now. So you know, while I said, you know, we might lose money on uh, some of these people within the first few years, you know, there's some other data that that says maybe that's not the case. And, you know, one of those data points is their records show that on average, people keep a vehicle between six and seven years. I think it's like six and a half. So what that means is, you know, they're going to, somebody's going to sell their car and they're going to have this lifetime insert subscription, which we're happy to fully transfer to their next vehicle, but they're going to need to purchase new frames because there are hundreds of combinations of adapters and sizes that that each vehicle needs. And and the chances of that being a true transfer from one vehicle to the next is basically none. So so we are going to have repeat purchases from from these customers and and new money coming in. So we don't think they long term will be a a losing or money loss customer. They'll probably be a break even customer for the for the lifetime of our company. And going to move on to from sketch here but before we do just it's it's a really cool product and the video is is if nothing else really entertaining too so check it out on sketch.com that's o-n-s-c-h-e-d-g-e.com you can hit that website and the link over to the the kickstarter page yeah check them out back the projects and uh it's 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 worth checking out for sure so casey before we jump into the, the lightning round here you also, despite all this other stuff you're doing, you run a 3PL, right? Can you talk just a little bit about that? How long you've been doing it, and who, if you, you know, maybe who you're a good fit for if you have a, a certain specialty over, over, you know, just general e-commerce. Yeah, we we do run a 3PL. So we've always done our own warehousing, shipping, logistics uh, for the 17 years. It's kind of been part of our core competency, and then two years ago is when the 3PL really had its start. We're small. We just have a handful of clients. I think at this time they're they're all ECF members. We tend to keep it that way. I don't have any plans of this being a you know, separate huge business. It's definitely not on the same trajectory as this wiper startup that we're we're trying to do. If you uh, if somebody has special needs, you know, that's kind of what we cater to. Great. And where can they get in contact with you? What's the the name of the the business or website where they can get in touch? Because it's so so small and so close knit it's really just by word of mouth we don't even have a website so if people have a need they're they're probably best reaching out to me and and let's just you know have a conversation about what you're you're looking for uh and and my email address is my first and last name casey cutsell at at gmail.com well casey let's do it if you're up for a quick lighting round before we we wrap this up and and this part just you know one word or even one sentence answer is just just short rapid fire ones uh and we'll kick off with what's your favorite piece of e-commerce tech yeah i would say probably ShipStation. great least favorite piece of e-commerce tech erp 
<laughs> your most effective marketing strategy over the last six months? I would say Facebook lead generation and uh, having a good uh, funnel for converting leads. The favorite thing you sell or your favorite service, and we'll link up to it. I'm going to say the, the startup, onsketch.com. What's the last thing you apologize for that you're willing to publicly talk about in front of, you know, for you know decent-sized audience? Probably something every day do I need to apologize for, but the most memorable one was from just last week. I had to apologize to one of our 3PL clients. Our service was was really really struggling. And the good news is we, you know, have solutions to to work around that that problem. What's what's one of your life goals that's a decade in the future? Man, does this, can anybody plan 10 years in advance right now? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe like a, a really ambitious goal that you know you're probably not going to be able to hit in the next couple of years due to like life conditions or finances, but you know, 10 years out you'd love to be able to hit. So an ambitious life goal maybe is a better way to, to, to phrase it. Yeah. So I would say definitely super early retirement. So I'm, I'm 33 years old. I would like to retire, semi-retire before I'm 40. Who's the most interesting person you've met as a part of being part of the ECF forums? So there are a lot of people that couldn't make this list. A lot of great stories. And I, I would say... An individual, um, not so much for business accomplishments, but just as a person, would have to be Chris Boggs. Chris is the only other ECF member in the smaller size city that in in our state. You know, pretty early on, he reached out to me after joining the forum, and you know, we we quickly you know hit it off and had regular meetups. And after. I think after about a year, year and a half of us knowing each other, the stars kind of aligned and we ended up partnering up up together. So he he works for me. But yeah, Chris has a ton of of life experience and and awesome stories and just adventures that seems like every time we have a, a lunch meeting, I, I learn something new about him and 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 I'm further impressed. So yeah, it's been really nice getting to know Chris. Chris is a great guy. He's yeah, yeah. I've been doing a longtime member. Been doing uh, most of uh, our ECF labs, if not all. And uh, yeah, he's a phenomenal, dude. What's what's been the and finally, what's been the biggest problem you've solved or the most valuable thing you've learned from another ECF member inside the community? Yeah, this this is also a really long list. There, there's so much I've benefited from. I feel like this has given me more education being a part of this community than than anything I've done else elsewise. But I would say specifically team building, how to how to hire people, what to look for, culture to grow, how to identify key key things you need in a person. Just so much around the team building aspect, you know, has has been a, a great part of our education and uh, has definitely changed completely how I operate over the last two years. Yeah, it's it's man, leadership team building, one of the biggest things I've tried to to up level level up on as well. And man, good talking, good work with the Kickstarter. It's a super cool product. I'm excited to get those blades on my rig in the, in the next couple of months as you start shipping those out. And yeah, thanks again for being such an integral part of the community, everything you've added there. And if you're listening again on sketch.com, O-N-C-H-E-D-G-E.com, you can check out his dot com for his auto parts business at DIY Parts dot com and Casey really appreciate it always fun talking and I will see you in the forums thanks for being up for this yeah thank you 
That's going to do it for this week. Again, a big thank you to the team at Clavio for making the show possible. The best place to send highly segmented messages by email and SMS to your customers to make more money. You can learn more about them and get started at clavio.com forward slash ECF. And also brought to you by the e-commerce fuel private community, a vetted form and review directory of a thousand plus in the trenches experienced store owners that you can connect with to help grow your business. If you want to learn more about that and apply for membership, you can do that at ecommercefuel.com. Thanks so much for listening. Work hard and adventure often and looking forward to seeing you again next Friday. This is the ASY Radio Network Live from New York.